continue to multiply to each of you today in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It is a joy to be here with you. I thank God for this school and for each of you as you prepare in your studies for the next season of life and what God will do in and through you. If you take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Luke 15. Let me breathe a word of prayer and Then I want to read to you a portion of a parable, and we'll consider what God will say to us this hour out of what he's already said to us in his holy word. Lord Jesus, we we do love you. We pray for grace to love you more. We pray as well now that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Give us understanding, and we will obey your word and keep it with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. The parable of the prodigal son is recorded in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. There is only a portion of it that I want to focus on, but let me read to you beginning at verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Amen. I'm going to label the message simply lessons from the prodigal son. Lessons from the prodigal son. The great novelist Charles Dickens was asked what he thought was the best short story ever. He simply answered, the prodigal son, I agree. The parable of the prodigal son is the best known and most beloved parable of Jesus. But the parable of the prodigal son is not actually about the prodigal son. The prodigal son naturally gets most of the attention in the parable, rightfully so. He is the person and the the character in the parable that we most 
naturally relate to. But the parable is not about the prodigal son. It is about the love of the father for both of his sons, the prodigal and the elder brother. That point is made clearer when you read the parable in light of its context. The setting is set for us in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The remaining 30 verses of the chapter is Jesus' response to these grumbling religionists who are offended that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. He responds by telling three parables. Verses 4 through 7 is the parable of the lost sheep. Verses 8 through 10 is the parable of the lost silver. And in verses 11 through 32 is the parable of the lost son. These three parables make the same point. Lost people matter to God. The grumbling religionists ask, if Jesus really knows God, why is he partying with sinners? His dramatic answer here is, if you really know God, why haven't you joined the party? Lost people matter to God. This third parable makes that point, but it is three-dimensional, if you will. There are lessons in this parable to be found by focusing on the loving father, the prodigal son, and the elder brother. In this message, I want to focus your attention on what this passage teaches us from the downfall and restoration of the prodigal son. Indeed, the main idea of the parable is that lost people matter to God. The, the major point of the parable is about the love of God, but underneath the surface there is this story of the prodigal that teaches us a lesson about the life of sin. The big idea is that lost people matter to God, but by looking at the parable's focus on the prodigal, we see why God ought to matter to lost people. There is a point here, an inescapable truth, that we are confronted with that every sinner needs to hear, every person needs to hear. You need to hear, and I need to hear. The point of the message can be stated in three words. You need God. I read a story about two preachers who were invited to speak at the same event. And as they traveled together to the event, they began to discuss the particular messages they had prepared for the meeting. But when they arrived and found the room filled with poor and illiterate people, one leaned over to the other and said, the message I've prepared would not fit in this setting. His comrade said, mine neither. What shall we do? And one said to the other, I have an idea. Let's both preach Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. I'll preach first and preach the prodigal into the far country, and you can preach next and preach him back home. In a real sense, in this one message, I want to both preach the prodigal into the far country and bring him back home. 
to remind us afresh, friends, why, why we desperately need God. Consider the lessons then from the prodigal son. Number one, note the desire that motivates the life of sin. The desire that motivates the life of sin. Verse 11 and 12 says, And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. This bold request was a declaration of independence. And I submit to you that this is where sin begins. Beyond sinful words and deeds, Sin is a heart of rebellion that yearns for independence from God. The prodigal heart wants independence from God's control and God's credit. On one hand, spiritual independence desires control over one's life. Again, verse 12 and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. I really don't have the time, and that's no pulpit excuse for poor exposition. I don't have time to lean in and show you the weight of the offense of that request. But no, no son in the ancient world would have dared made this request. The father's blessing was discussed at the father's discretion and given by his initiation. Yet this boy boldly asked for his inheritance, and that's significant. He's not just asking for startup money to begin a new life somewhere else. He is asking specifically for the money he would receive upon his father's death. He is literally saying to his dad, as far as I'm concerned, Pop, you could drop dead right now. I don't want a relationship with you. I just want your stuff. If there's anything more remarkable than the boy's request is the father's response. The Bible says here at the end of verse 12, and he divided his property between them. And in verse 13, we get a sense of why this boy would so dishonor his father. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. After he got his money, he packed up all of his sneakers and jeans and Xbox games and, and put them in duffel bags and, and he took everything he owned and left his father's house and went to the far country. Note that, far country. He, he didn't just leave his father's house, he left his father's country. It would be one thing for him to find him a place on the other side of town. He found a place on the other side of the world. Our country is meant to indicate that this Jewish young man took up residency in some pagan territory. It was a complete repudiation of his father's value system. He no longer had to abide by his father's rules. He no longer had to submit to his father's authority. He no longer had to operate by his father's curfew. In his mind, he was his own man now, not his father's son. And this is the desire that motivates the life of sin, friends. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the serpent says to Eve, convincing her to eat of the forbidden fruit, 
God knows. There's a moment you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first sin was motivated by a desire to be like God, and so is every other sin. In a real sense, the prodigal heart doesn't want a relationship with God. The prodigal heart wants to be God and wants to use God to help him or her better serve themselves. In sin, we are like this prodigal. The prodigal had the audacity to say to his father, Father, I want to live independent of you and control my own life. Uh, but before I go, can you finance my independence for me? The very request was evidence that he couldn't make it on his own. If he was a real man, he would have said, Dad, I'm leaving. Not, Dad, can I have money to leave you? And yet, even though his request acknowledges that he was not able to make it on his own, he was determined. Because spiritual independence desires control over one's life. But likewise, spiritual independence desires credit for one's life. Once he got his inheritance, it was not enough that he has money to start up again on his own. No, he goes to the far country, not just for control, but, but for credit. He has the money, but that's not enough. His scheme won't work if he gets his money and finds his own place in his daddy's town as he's driving his fancy car, wearing his designer clothes, living in his plush condominium. None of his friends and classmates would be impressed. They, they would know he's, he's only got it going on because he's spending his old man's money. So he has to go to the far country where no one knows him, no one knows his dad, and, and when the young upstart gets to the big city, then he can play the role of a self-made man. Again, we see the motivation that drives the heart of sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul tells us why the wrath of God is unleashed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. He says, because though they know God, they will not honor him as God or give thanks to him. The sinful heart cannot honor God as God because the sinful heart desires to be honored as God. And in Romans 1.21, Paul says this unrighteousness is revealed simply in our inability to give God thanks for what he's done. In a week or two, my baby daughter will turn 10 years old. Her name is Haley Brianne. She was just a couple of months old when we moved to Jacksonville. She, she was the church's baby when we arrived there. Our two other kids are now in their late teens, but Haley was the baby, and the church we arrived at had not had a you know, baby from in the pastor's house for many years, and they were excited. And we got to a place where we would show up at church and walk into that hallway where the offices were, and by the time we got in the door to my office, Someone had snatched Haley up, and we wouldn't see Haley for the rest of the day. She was the church's baby. And then she'd come back at the end of the day 
ready for us to leave, somebody would deliver her, and she'd show up with a piece of candy or a toy or a dollar. <laughs> and we had two questions, two basic questions in a moment like this every good parent asks. Where did you get that from? <laughs> to make sure, A, they didn't, she didn't steal it, or that we approve of where she got it from. And she would say, for instance, Pastor Mike gave me this dollar after church, Daddy. Then we asked the second question the parent asked. What did you say? I said, thank you. Unfortunately, the prodigal heart has difficulty answering those basic childhood questions. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The real question is, where did you get that from? You have a great career, great. But where did you get that from? You have a level of success and accomplishment and skill in life, wonderful. So what? The real question is, where did you get that from? And if you know where you got that from, what did you say when you got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we should do it all to the glory of God. And so there is the desire that motivates the life of sin. But secondly, consider with me, friends, the dilemma that confronts the life of sin. The dilemma that confronts the life of sin. When old boy got to the far country, he, he experienced two realities about life that I want you to think about with me as it relates, as it relates to the life of sin. Just think through the first one with me for a moment. The first truth he was confronted with is that the pleasures of sin are real. The pleasures of sin are real. The Bible says not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Jesus doesn't fill in the blanks here for us. The only hint about what those days look like is later in verse 30, where interestingly, the elder brother accuses the prodigal of wasting the father's money in the far country on prostitutes. I always wonder how he would know that, but that's what he says. Yet, Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time telling us what the prodigal was doing during those days when he arrived in the far country but if we can just assume, he was having a good time. It doesn't take deep exegesis here, right? Yes, he, he wasted his property on reckless living, but I submit to you, he had a blast doing it. This is an important point I want you to get. Because while we share the good news of God's rescuing grace with lost people, we, we, we must not, well, on one hand, we must not glorify the life of sin. It's our job to welcome the prodigal home, not make the pig pen look more attractive. But at the other side, you must not assume that everyone that we will share the good news with is miserable or hurting or empty. The, the reality I think that you should get here is that there, that there is a season where the life of sin is fun. What happens in the far country stays in the far country. 
This boy, for a season, was having a good time. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says in that 19th verse, that if we only have hope in Christ in this life, we have all men most to be pitied. There are people that think that even if Christianity is not true, it's, it's still noble to live a Christian life because of its upright ways. But Paul says, if the gospel isn't true, if Jesus didn't die at the cross and then rise from the dead, we're the most pitiful people on all the earth because we missed the party. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, if the dead do not live again, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32 says, we should just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. The pleasures of sin are real. He learned that. But here's the other truth that he, he had to learn. That though the pleasures of sin are real, the pleasures of sin are temporary. He was having a blast. Until verse 14 says he spent everything. He's in the club one night. They, they announced last call. He yells out, last round on me. They bring him the tab. He gives him his credit card. It's denied. Oh, he tells them I'm good for it, and they, they don't make a big deal because he's in there every night. He goes to the bank the next day to get cash, and his accounts are empty. And then all these so-called friends who he had hooked up were nowhere to be found now that he needed a hookup. And at the same time, the Bible says in this uh, 14th verse that a severe famine hit that land. The stock market crashed. A great recession hit. He couldn't find work anywhere. Let me summarize. The party was over. Am I making sense? Jesus presents the story this way to say that though the pleasures of sin may seem fun for a season, they do not last. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 says that by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but instead accepted mistreatment with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. What a phrase. Sin has its pleasures, but they're fleeting, they're passing, they're temporary, they don't last. This is the economy of Scripture. The things that matter the most are the things that last the longest. My mother taught me to sing, you may build great cathedrals, large or small. You may build skyscrapers, grand and tall. You may conquer all the failures of your past, but only what you do for Christ will last. You may seek earthly fortune and fame. The world might be impressed by your great name, but soon the glories of this life will all be past, and only what you do for Christ will last. There is the desire that motivates the life of sin. There is 
the dilemma that confronts the life of sin? Consider with me thirdly, the discovery that changes the life of sin. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine hit that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and, and no one gave him anything. This prodigal son learned an important lesson about life and himself and his father in the far country. His father didn't come to the far country to teach him that lesson. Here's how he learned it. Life caught up with him. Consider the lesson he learned and consider the classroom where he learned it. Note, first of all, the lesson the life of sin teaches. This big shot spins everything. A severe famine hits the land. He can't find work except for someone who hires him to feed his pigs. This is as low as a Jewish boy could go, taking a job feeding unclean pigs. But it gets lower. He gets so low, so desperate, that he does, he, instead of hurting the swine, he starts hurting with the swine. He is so desperate, he is tempted to fight the pigs for the slop he's supposed to feed the pigs. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself. One translation says, when he came to his senses. I like that, because if you're trying to live without God, you must have lost your mind. <laughs> he came to him senses. He came to himself. He said, how many of my father's higher servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your higher servants. This is the lesson the life of sin will inevitably teach at one point or another. You need God. When he hit his lowest point, he was forced to recognize how desperately he needed his father. The point there is to express to us, friends, you, you need God. Don't, don't put anything ahead of God. Goals, career, family, pleasure, because you're going to need God to help you with your family. You're going to need God to help you with your career. You're going to need God to help you with ministry. You, you need God. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Laborers seek success, watchmen sustain success, but, but without God, the house comes crashing down. Without God. The enemy overtakes the city. More than 100 years ago, there was a woman named Annie Hawks, mother, wife, 37 years old. She's cleaning up her kitchen, thinking about the goodness of the Lord. That's the key to the story. She's meditating on God's blessings. 
And as she's thinking about how good things are right there, she, she recognizes that, that things will stay that way or not based upon God, and that if whatever was going to happen next, she needed God. And she, she wrote the hymn that the church sings, I need thee every hour, most precious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. That's the truth all of us need to recognize, friends. I hope in this season and stage of your life, you, you get that point. Up or down, you need God. Win or loss, success or failure. If the sun is shining or the storm is raging, you need God. That's the lesson the life of sin teaches. May I show you the classroom where sin teaches it? He is reminded how much he needs his father. He doesn't learn that in the father's house. For that matter, he doesn't even learn it in the <laughs> far country. He, he learns it in the pig pen. And if you are not careful, the deceitfulness of sin can so harden your heart that you will have to, like the prodigal, lose everything before you recognize how desperately you need God. Irene Jones taught the primary Sunday school class I was in as a boy. And at the end of every class, she would pray for every student by name. And when she got to me, she would pray the same thing every week. She would pray that I would not have a prodigal son experience. I was offended. And I asked her, I was a boy, I asked her, why do you pray the same thing for me every week? And she explained that as a boy, I had trusted Christ and known the love of God. And that she believed there was a call of God on my life. And it was her prayer that I would not have to get to the far country before I recognized how good I had it in the Father's house. Ah, that answer didn't mean anything to me. I still thought she was picking on the preacher's kid. But in the providence of God, as the years passed, I became the pastor of that church. And over 18 years, I ended up ministering to kids I had grown up with who came back to God after life caught up with them. There was a time I was embarrassed about my ministry, being called as a boy, beginning to serve a church at the age of 17. But as I saw all of those testimonies of those who went out and lived a life and did their thing and had fun, and then they spent everything. I'm no longer ashamed of my testimony. It's a blessing what God brings you through, but it's also a blessing when God keeps you out of it. Don't discount this blessed season in your life to study God's Word, to be in a Christian environment. To focus your mind and heart on the things of God as you prepare for the future. You, you need God. God will teach you that one way or another. Some, some have to lose everything before they recognize that God was really their everything. Some have to hit rock bottom before they look to the hills. And remember that their help is beyond the hills to the one who made heaven and earth. Some have to get to the, to the pig pen to recognize how good the Father is. J.C. Ryle 
said that hell is truth known too late. Oh, friend, before it is too late, may you run to the cross and throw yourself on his mercy. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Surrender your life to him. Finally, one more idea I want you to consider with me, and that is the deliverance that redeems the life of sin. We saw it. How many, verse 17, when he comes to himself, of my higher, father's higher servants have bread and enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go home to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your higher servants. <laughs> wow. Last time he saw his daddy, he had the audacity to demand of his father, give me. Now, life is caught up with him, and when he sees his daddy again, he just plans to say, hire me. Little does he know his dad's been waiting for him. He arose and came to his father, verse 20, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He said to his son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he, the father said to the servants, I love this. He, wasn't, he won't let the boy finish his speech, and the father never says anything to the prodigal. He starts talking to the servants. Quick. Go get the best robe and put it on him. To get the best robe, the servant would have to go into the daddy's house, into the daddy's bedroom, into the daddy's closet. The best robe was the father's robe. The father is saying, go get my robe and put it on him. What a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Slaves go barefoot, sons wear shoes, put sandals on his feet, put a signet ring on his finger, signifying his authority in my house. And I, I know y'all think I've been weird telling you to overfeed a particular calf every day. I hope it now makes sense now that my boy is home. Today is D-Day for that calf. <laughs> go kill the fatty calf and let's celebrate because my, my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found, and they began to celebrate, says verse 24. And now we are at, again, the punchline of Luke 15. The religious crowd wants to know, if Jesus really knows God, why is he partying with sinners? Jesus' answer is, if you really know God, why haven't you joined the party? Lost people matter to God. Join the party. This is the deliverance that redeems the life of sin. Two words, come home. Life doesn't get fixed by working harder in the pig pen. You must come home. You must come home to God. You should come home to God. You can come home to God. Friend, will you come home to God today? If not, why won't you come home to God today? 
The elder brother may have an attitude when you come home, but not the father. The father throws a party to celebrate that the son has returned home. And would you note very interestingly that in this celebration, everything that the son wanted in the far country he discovered was available in the father's house. He wanted to get to the big city and get nice, fancy clothes. The father said, go put the best robe on him and put sandals on his feet. He wanted to get to the big city and buy, you know, fancy jewelry. Show off his bling bling to the crowds. The father said, go put a ring on his finger. Wait, 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 you were going, you were going to the far country so you could party. You haven't seen a party. Let's kill the fatty calf and celebrate. This is what Jesus says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it more abundantly. Only God has what your soul craves, what your heart desires, what your mind seeks. Only God. You need God. Come home to him. Maria gave birth to Christina. Her father died not long after she was born. Maria hoped that Christina would grow up and help her care for the family. But by the time she was of age, she was attracted by the bright lights of the big city and was determined to leave their small village. Mother, knowing the big city, knowing her daughter, did everything she could to dissuade her. One morning, Maria woke up in Christina's Cot was empty. Her belongings were gone. She didn't have to ask. She knew where her daughter was. But she was determined to bring her daughter home, so she went to the big city to get her. Uh, she didn't know where to look. She didn't know what to do. But before she left, she went to a local store, and she took pictures of herself and made as many copies as she could afford. And when she got to the big city, she just started posting those pictures. Bars, clubs, hotels. Until she ran out of pictures and ran out of money and had no choice but to go home. Some time later, her daughter Christina comes stumbling with a hangover out of a hotel. She is so desperate, she is so ashamed, she is so broken, she has been in so many different beds. In her time in the big city, she would immediately trade it all for that cot in her mama's house she so wanted to get away from. As she stammers through the lobby of the hotel, she is shocked to look across the hall and see on the wall a picture of her mother. She pulls down the picture, 
And on the back, there is a note in her mother's handwriting. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. I love you. Come home. Christina did. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ was God's gift to you that he hung on the cross to say, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. I love you. Come home. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for its truth, wisdom, and authority. Thank you for the good news of the saving work of Jesus Christ who lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Would you help us to run to the cross and trust in him for salvation from the judgment that is sure to come? Would you help us to run to the cross and commit our lives to him who is worthy of our trust and obedience and devotion for your glory?